Welcome everyone to episode 39 of Room of Requirement. I am uh, one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrout, and with me as always is Miracle Jones. Hello! How are you doing, Miracle? Not bad, not bad. Did I, t- I tell you? I guess it, you just came over and, and stirred me from my. I, my I woke you up. I apologize. For no that. problem, no problem. I, I didn't. I had a kidney stone this week. That you had a kidney something. stone? Yeah, but I've had like hundreds of them. It's been a while, so it was kind of a. a it's uh, a really painful thing. Oh, it's terrible. Believe me. But yeah, so I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'm feeling better. So I was just kind of sleepy, I guess, worn out. And then I just been editing. Did you books, pass so. the kidney stone? Yeah, yeah, they passed. My my body just like makes kidney stones. Uh, I kind of have a funny story about kidney stones. It didn't actually happen to me. But, <laughs> um, but I can tell you. Yeah, no, no, point. no. <laughs> so I believe it was a kidney stone. So, um, one of my friends, uh, he's a. Um, he grew up across the street from me, and his father's very good friends with my father. So, uh, in part of the Indian community, we know each other for a really long time. Um, and so, at some point, uh, you know, at some point, his wife looks up at the dinner table. They're, you know, they're seventies, and uh, she looks up and she's like, "Oh, you know, you, you're not eating." And he's like, "You know what? I just don't feel so well." Also, there's like blood in my ear. Uh. <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, how long has this been happening?" And he's like, "Oh, a day or so." So the first time, he doesn't even complain about it. It's just that he de- wasn't eating dinner. And she's like, oh, okay. Uh, well, what should we do? And he's like, um, well, you know, we have a son, and he's married to a doctor. Maybe we should call her. <laughs> so they call her. And um, and they're like, uh, and she's like, how are you feeling? Blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, I may be a little warm. She's like, okay, why don't you take your temperature? And they're like, oh, okay, we'll do that. And they come, and they're like, okay, my my temperature is 90 degrees mm. and they're like no it's not <laughs> yeah because if it's 90 degrees it would actually be zero because you'd be dead yeah he's like no look at it and so they go back and forth and they go back and forth uh so my friend he sends his younger brother who's in the area to go pick them up a thermometer there's a whole ba- uh, his mother doesn't deal well with crisis there's all this storm and drama there's enough tension with the wife anyway <laughs> so eventually it comes to light um he should go to the hospital immediately. Sure. It was not 90 degrees. PSA, everybody. If there's blood in your urine, go to the don't, hospital. Don't, don't try to wait it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, don't, don't try to walk that way. Yeah. So he goes He goes to the hospital. He Eventually, I believe he passes the stone, etc., etc. Turns out they were using a meat thermometer. Ah, well, you know. <laughs> Which asks the question, where'd you get a meat thermometer? You're vegetarian. <laughs> a friend gave them, lifelong vegetarians, a meat thermometer for a gift. That is a terrible friend. <laughs> Did I mention the man in, has a PhD in chemistry? Oh, that's dark. <laughs> well, it all worked out, you know? in chemistry. Um, yeah, so those are the kind of savants I grew up with <laughs> I mean, in the Indian know, community. That's a, I, that, that story is like a masterpiece of stoicism. Like, I like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because um, he sat down to eat. He's like, ah, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll get through this. Whole <laughs> <laughs> um, so those of us, uh, so for those of you who are just joining us, we are a podcast dedicated <laughs> yeah, to reason and resilience in the time of Trump. We yeah. like to talk about ourselves a little. We like to talk about politics. And then we like to end the podcast either talking about random shit doubling down on defeat or just you know what recommending we're some cultural product yeah or <laughs> uh what we're reading outside our liberal elitist bubble yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah um so 
Other than, you know, stories about uh, kidney stones, how are you doing otherwise? <laughs> Not bad. I mean, yeah. you know, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm editing, is, work is starting to pick up. I'm just getting some right. clients, and I'm yeah, almost, I've almost got too much work right now, which okay. is kind of nice. That's cool. But, uh, yeah, and then, yeah, just editing books, and I don't know, we had a nor'easter come through this yeah. week. Which was sort of a lot of nothing. Yeah, it really was just all hype, but oh. it, it's still March, and it's obnoxious. Like, yeah. I wish this was not March weather. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, you got a haircut. It looks I, good. Uh, thank you. I can. I can. I still have hair to cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much of it. There's no. <laughs> I probably lost like two pounds. Yeah, I was going to say. So I, I was thinking a little bit about this podcast and our conversations back and forth. And one of the things that I, I realized is that we have kind of different lives, obviously. Sure. Uh, but you look at my life; it's way more stable uh, than <laughs> <Yeah>. your life. <laughs> Oh, by definition, but I think that's a little odd, um, <laughs> only because you've known me during my stable period. Yeah, right. Yeah. right? And so yeah. uh, there's a whole swath of time uh, post college, good ten or fifteen years, just was not stable. So uh, I think it's a weird look onto my life that you're like, oh, okay, stable, stable relationship, stable job, that kind of thing. Um, but it was a hard a fought battle to get there yeah no i mean i see the scars <laughs> uh, i feel like my unstable life causes you undue anxiety sometimes which is only the uh, result of somebody who has is so close to it <laughs> not anxiety i think it's uh concern yeah, yeah, yeah. well i've been there I've yeah been exactly there. exactly right, 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 right. i see the i see the <laughs> It's not, yeah, the marks are still fresh on you. It's I'm I'm getting to a I'm getting older. It's strange. Like uh, a friend of mine just came through and did a show. We did a show together. Yeah. He's a musician. And yeah. We've had kind of parallel uh, working lives as far as art goes. And we were both just talking. He's a he's a carpenter for a living. Mm-hmm. I have uh, a friend who's a musician who's been a musician for a long time. Who's also a carpenter. I mean, it's the Jesus way, right? Yeah, yeah. Like messianic craftsman. He's yeah, like a craftsman. Yeah. He just yeah. works at just it. Just loves it. You know, like yeah. this guy's a brilliant uh, guitar player. This guy's a one man band, right? So he's like does uh, all his own work yeah. and travels around. But we were just talking about how like the older you get, it's just so much harder to like work for anybody else. Like it just yeah. feels basically impossible. Like yeah. You'd rather do anything, you know. <laughs> it's like you just stare. It's like ah, I don't know. Like, what can I deal with before I actually have to pull the trigger on saying yes to anybody else's yeah. dumb ideas? Because all ideas are you just it all just flattens out. Like yeah. everybody's ideas just seem dumb, and just it's all just ambition and vanity, and you right. just want enough to get by, and you don't. You know. uh, <laughs> but yeah. uh, I don't know. But I'm, I'm. It's nice to work for yourself. And, yeah. Uh, so it's been a good week. We uh, we had some. Uh, nomination for our publishing company our, yeah. our, our, a couple of our books got nominated for awards so. that's awesome yeah so hopefully that'll make them sell more yeah you know? do, do you get a do you get a nomination bump or is it just the win bump I think it's you know we've got two books nominated in the same category yeah. so there are only five nominees so we, we're running 40% of that category nice so our odds are high so All we're right. hoping like one of them uh, one I mean, of them takes the prize you're assuming even distribution <laughs> random win right well as opposed to how most awards work which is you bribe the judge yeah i mean we're gonna try our best that's how the uh, oscars work i assume that's how publishing works yeah i mean i think it's it's publishing's even weirder because like who can read like five books you know i think people are just like voting based on covers or just like their friends their friends yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh so you know that's really nice it just felt felt kind of um uh 
validating for a dumb career path. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, there, there's no well, money. Congratulations. Yeah, no, thank you. How's everything been at work? I know you've been busy as shit. Uh, yeah, I've been busy. It was stressful last week. It's actually been a pretty good week so far. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I feel like I now I came up with yet another amazing innovation, which is I think uh, one hour a week we are just going to speak French. <laughs> So, civilized lunch and now French hour. Yeah, we're going to have French hour. There are going to be there are at least two, now three native French speakers. Huh. And the rest of us are just going to have to sink or swim. Deal with it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> are you ex- how is your French? Like? Well, that's not bad. Yeah. It's not bad. I think it's good tourist French. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. It's not, it's, I, can't, I can't work in it. Um, yeah. I'm out of not practice. Yet. Yeah, no, yeah. Pas yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so the best thing is like my boss is uh, French. I refuse to speak French to him. Yeah. It's just gonna make me look bad. Yeah. But then we have people who are younger than me and junior to me, and then I, I they're like, "You, you come here, you tolerate my <laughs> terrible French. You, I will speak French to you and torture you. And you're gonna have to smile." So that's that's like what it, those are the that's juices amazing. of power. That's amazing. No, that's great. I mean, I'm sure you know people who are here, you know, who are native French speakers. I'm sure will definitely appreciate the ability to speak French for yeah, a little for bit. A little you bit. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put you on, put you on your back. Feet. <laughs> Um, so that's about it. Yeah, no, I work. This was a pretty good week for work, but yeah, I've just been busy. Um, uh, yeah, st- st- still trying to sp- uh, kind of strike a work-life balance, but I don't know what. Because you've been pulling like ten-hour days and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I work for a bank. Yeah, uh, ten-hour days. So, uh, yeah. How's it? I mean, how's it? So, I mean, like, I'm not getting exercise. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, the first priority I think is, uh, you know, my wife yeah. uh, and making sure that she's happy, um, and then. Uh, like things that I'm interested in and trying to learn, exercise, that kind of stuff. So uh, that stuff has fallen by the wayside. I'm able to uh, keep on top of like friends, barely. Um, but like all the little projects that I was running around doing, it's just not happening these days. So I don't know. Is it is it satisfying? Are you? I mean, because you're making stuff, right? Like it's cool shit that you're making and you have access to. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's not. I don't think I'm unsat. I mean, like, I think yeah. it's like a really interesting job for me right now. Like, it's not always perfect, but I think I've kind of unstart. I feel like I'm hitting a stride, and then like, uh, I I like my job. Uh, I certainly like it better than my old job. Um, and it pays the bills. Um, it allows my wife to do nothing <laughs> other than take yoga lessons, maybe some bowling <laughs> lessons. You don't know. You don't know the kind of joy that brings me, right? Like, I'm just like, oh, that's... I live with someone who has an utterly stress-free life. If you guys want to ever adopt me, I'll just throw in there. My needs are very are very small. I'm, I'm telling you, we have a spare bedroom. Anytime... It, this shit goes belly up. You've got a plan B, and it doesn't even take you, like, three minutes to get it's there. True, it's true, it's uh, So, I, I, did I ever tell you, I had a buddy of mine, I don't think you've met him, but um, he... Uh, he crashed on my couch for like two years. That is a long time. <laughs> uh, and his brother, Kat, uh, the guitarist, crashed on my couch for about two years. You're a good friend. <laughs> so we're okay. Uh, and I, I actually, and so my house, my, my apartment, and when I actually, when I met my current wife, like my buddy was crashing on my couch. And, and to her credit, she was never like, what's this guy doing here? I was just like, hey. He needs a place to stay. He comes back. I don't have a pay. Never got this guy. <laughs> uh, and Angela was never like, hey, you should get rid of him. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, you guys are both like very friendly, you know, outgoing, you know, kind of extroverty people. Yeah, and actually, I was going to say, the house feels a little empty these days. Really? Because so, yeah. there's no one on your couch. Yeah. <laughs> right. 
I miss it a little. <laughs> I feel you know, like you've you've seen people come through here all the yeah. time too. Like I'm frequently uh, hosting people. I don't think I could ever do that again. Uh, live on somebody's couch. I've got my my needs, you know. Uh, yeah, I guess. Door, and I'm, you know, if only if I were like traveling. I think. Yeah. You know, which is that makes it fun, right? Like. Yeah, I guess so. for people. sure, for yeah. sure. I think it's a, but you know, should uh, push come to shove and should <laughs> needs be it. It's nice to know. Uh, what? It's nice to know you have a place. No, like, yeah, thank yeah. you. That's so nice. Of I, too, I, think, <laughs> I think it's nice to know that you can offer a place. For sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna right. say never. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm never gonna. I'm not gonna say never. I may need it at some point. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You want to transition to politics? Yeah, let's talk about politics. All right. Uh, so, crack my fingers. Yeah. So get this, political. Yeah, let's get political. <laughs> um, so this is actually uh, uh, an interesting week because effectively there's been a dominant policy issue mm-hmm. in the headlines, and that's trade. Yeah. And it's and it's a uh, it's a topic we don't talk about that often, but I think that there's uh, there's an agreement I think between us on how we feel about trade, which is why I feel like we stake out this ground and this sort of middle center left ground because unlike I think both what the Republican Party has become and I think what a significant wing of the Democratic Party was or at least campaigned on in 2016 we're relatively pro-trade you know my every I've done a lot of work in the radical left right and anytime trade comes up I just change the subject subject. start talking about religion yeah start talking about religion so how'd you grow up Because, what church should you go to? Yeah, because I'm I'm a very pro-trade liberal. Yeah. I, I guess like I, I don't. There's a lot of shade given pro-trade factions on the left these days, and I frankly don't understand why. It makes me like paranoid. It's like this is just like that's that's when I get real into like the Russia stuff or just like Chinese like uh, uh, I guess like. Uh, involvement in politics because it's like this is a universal good like do the math like look at it like, yeah. this, oh, you know countries that trade together both benefit right? right this is America's greatest thing is yeah. that we have all these trade deals with all these places you know and it benefits the places we trade with they fight to get these deals right like yeah. you're an asshole if you're kiboshing them I think you know and uh, I feel like the only countries that we you know we don't have a lot of uh, shared interest with Russia, for instance, yeah. right? They're an extractive economy that we don't buy a lot from. And yeah, and buy a lot from us, right? right? And we're about to bury them in terms of exports. Yeah, right. And so they have. We're a, actually competitors at right. this point. Yes, yeah, so they have. So they have a real interest in destroying our spider yeah. web of trade agreements. Sure. Uh, it seems like everybody likes to jump in and help them from Pat Buchanan to Bernie Sanders <laughs> to fucking Donald Trump. And right. I've just never understood why anybody would take aim at trade. And I say this from a, I think it, it raises everybody up. I say, you know, I, yeah. it, especially in the countries that rely on, you know, that need somebody to buy their shit. <laughs> so I, one of the things that I feel like is sort of a formative experience in my life is that when... I was younger, right? Uh, when we were both younger, uh, you know, Bill Clinton would swung the party, the Democratic Party, to being a more fro- uh, pro-trade party, right? Mm-hmm. So he signed NAFTA. That was yeah. an agreement between Mexico and Canada and the U.S. And of course, borders. Roosevelt was pro-trade as well. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> but in an odd way, yeah. in his odd kind of way, he was pro-trade, probably not for the maybe, not for the same reasons <laughs> right, that Clinton yeah. was pro-trade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so, so. Historically, the Democrats have been wary of trade up until Bill Clinton's time, and he swung it uh, towards being a more pro-trade party. 
the thing is that that sort of engendered this radical or this extremely anti-trade left, right? So mm -hmm. you had all these uh, things like the WTO pro protests. There was a significant amount of activism on the left uh, in the late 90s, up until the mid-2000s, right? Until, yeah. like, the war took over as sort of the the important cause uh, for the left to rally around, right? Yeah, you'd see these people that, you know... <laughs> with English degrees getting so pissed at the World Bank and I'd just be what do you know about the World Bank you don't know anything about the World Bank like right. don't and at the time I was really skeptical I mean I I had studied economics and I was yeah. working as an economist and maybe maybe I had just been captured by the system but mm -hmm. I would argue in our favor that they were proven dead wrong, right? So the yeah. argument of the left in the late nineties and early two thousands was this was a way to pillage the third world. Right. This was bad. These trade agreements going through the World Trade Organizations. This was just going to wreak havoc on the economies of the third world. And if you've seen anything, what happened to the middle class in places like China, um, India, other kinds of countries, it was an extraordinary transformation. They actually birthed a huge, significant middle class in the past 20 to 30 years. China is not the country of the early 90s. I would say the same thing to in, uh, about India, right? So in the early, in the mid 90s, uh, my father got the first phone call he ever got from his father on the phone from the house. <laughs> That's, um, that same house now has like three stories, cable television, air conditioning. It's on, yeah. it's the global economy has transformed parts of this world in a way that is amazing and it just doesn't get enough props. It doesn't get enough respect and it doesn't get enough credit. And a lot of that had to do with trade. Mm. It didn't necessarily have to do with opening up democratic systems, yeah. but global trade transformed huge swaths of, of this world and it actually delivered i think a untold amount of people from poverty to the middle class we talked about this earlier uh, i guess off the podcast but we, the old classifications of right and left don't really yeah. apply anymore right? right and i think trade is kind of one of those fundamental issues that right. is is dividing people yeah uh, and, and you know I, I, I kind of put it to four quadrants now it's not really right or left it's like globalist versus nationalist yeah. uh there is the still still the same you know uh economic centralization versus neoliberalism yeah uh you you've got uh, uh kind of human rights mm -hmm. identity politics versus like religious like fundamentalism yeah uh, that whole vector there and then you've got urban versus rural right. right and a lot of these things track yeah you know you if you're if you're a globalist you're also way more likely to be urban yeah there's there's correlation it's not evenly distributed throughout the but calling somebody like right calling somebody left or right on trade just doesn't make any sense anymore right this is one of the things that's interesting as donald trump is sort of finally delivered his promise to mm. impose tariffs um, although he's had a soft and sort of destructive walk back from various trade or agreements inclu including the uh, TPP right like yeah. yeah so which has gone forward without it <laughs> hilariously that's the, I mean it's, this, the book hasn't been written yet but this is one of the funniest things that has ever happened yeah. this trade agreement that we structured and like yeah. forced all these countries into yeah. strong armed them and set up all these like you know incentives yeah. they've signed it without us yeah. <laughs> it's amazing yeah <laughs>
foot meat bullet. Yeah, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, anyway, so, um, I want to say, uh, so I, I have a point, but I, I want to say that I'm not unaware of the fact that global trade has its costs, right? right. And, and I'm not saying that the benefits are evenly distributed, but to say that it only benefits elites is absolutely wrong. It is it is completely wrong. You just have to go anywhere, um, anywhere outside of the U.S., and you will see countries that have just look different. I mean, f- fantastically different. I would also say, even within the U.S., we've been able to do quite a number of things. We're a modern economy. We've we have continued to be a modern economy for twenty five years, uh, despite uh, because of capital flows. Because we certainly aren't investing in ourselves, but we've managed to keep a, an edge. We continue to. Uh, be uh, a productive and thriving economy, um, in part because of global trade. Yeah, and you know, my as a my own personal uh, proclivity is to chain, I guess, like social programs and you know, more of a of a welfare state to this like unhinged, like unleashed economic engine of trade. Right, like you you unleash uh, yeah. global trade, and then you make sure that everybody gets a piece of it that's harder you know but you don't attack the trade you attack the issue of this trade not helping everybody the inequality right and that's what i just don't understand about the less rhetoric on this yeah they're going they're going for the thing that makes the money they're not trying to spread the money out for everybody yeah that's that's baffling it just doesn't make any sense to me right and i think we've always talked about this my my disagreement with kind of modern economics is I don't really care about the relative income of people. I care mm-hmm. about the floor, right? Like yeah. I, I don't care if you're if there are billions of people uh, or you know so many people like flying to the moon for a weekend, yeah. right? I don't care about it. Yeah. Uh, what I care about is whether people have access to education and health care, right? Yeah. Um, that's what I care about. If yeah. we're not delivering those goods, let's talk about that, right? Let's are these is it important to bring in the markets? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but that's a that's a complicated debate. I care about the floor and the access to basic, what not if not human rights, um, certainly the the components of modern life that are really important. Yeah, and let's not. I mean, also the the ancillary great side effect of trade trade agreements and you know uh the globalization of the economy is travel the ability to move like, yeah and you're all over we're seeing people eliminating that right they're t- they're they're isolating they're they're cutting off like yeah. uh, they're 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 pulling out of the Schengen agreement as in england they're 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 right. cutting off visas to people they're they're uh, they're as if they're afraid, but that's the that's the bonus, right? Yeah. Like that's what you're paying. That's one of the things you're paying for with these trade agreements is this free flow back and forth of these countries. You know, right. go work someplace where you can get a job. You know, yeah. like that is something that and we're cutting people off who are migrating here to work as, and that should be something we're celebrating. You know, like yeah. if, if the work here is better than you know when we have a trade agreement with them, why yeah. the fuck not? You know, yeah. we're benefiting both on both sides of that, right? right. And we're not we're getting more doctors. We're not getting more doc. We're getting more doctors, and, but you know, people are people are panicking, and they're they're turning against uh, reason and right. at a time when they should be trying to figure out how these things work without being paranoid and going all full anti-Semitic, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, anti-Semitic or anti-Muslim. Yeah, yeah. 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 Either way, you hate a. Either side, we both hate the people of the book. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. As long as they're not Christian, we hate them. Yeah. Peoples of the book, we hate them. Um, 
I, I wanted to bring up two things about Trape. I want to go back to your kind of force space vector of how people align themselves politically. One of the interesting things is that you're seeing in current polling is the Democrats have swung really against Donald Trump's initiatives to cut down trade or, the, <laughs> yeah. um, or raise tariffs, which is the weirdest thing. And I'm I'm happy, actually, yeah. that the, the Democratic Party has <laughs> come towards us I, I on one issue. I know. On one and issue. And I try not to gloat too much, but, but yeah. And I, but uh, the reason we shouldn't gloat, yeah. um, even though I think it's absolutely the right policy, is it's just instinctive. It's tribal. Like yeah. a lot of these, a lot of these alignments on various issues are, are tribal. We uh, people generally oppose what Donald Trump is doing, so whatever he's doing must be bad. Um, and it's sad because it, I mean, this is a policy that I would like to survive. Uh, the Donald Trump era. What's that guy, Thomas Frank? The world is flat. Thomas right? Friedman. Thomas Friedman. Maybe he fucked everything up because he's such a bad writer, and he just he got all into globalization. So yeah. yeah, 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 and he just made everybody kind of sick to their stomach about globalization. He wrote a pretty good book on Israel. <laughs> Did he? I haven't read his book on Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Israel and Beirut. It's, perfect. it's yeah. worth reading. But I guess I guess the antidote to this is like Jackson Heights, motherfuckers, come yeah. visit. You can stay on our couch. Yeah. Like, you can see globalization in action. Yeah, and it's like, kind of its beautiful, messy yeah, world yeah, yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I want to, I wonder though if the rise of Donald Trump has actually made parts of the Democratic Party move more like to the neoliberal uh, center or like where they all of a sudden become neocons, right? Where they're right. like now they're more tra- pro trade, they're anti tariff. They're they're talking about interventions in Syria. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, you're right. You're not pro immigration. <laughs> yeah. So they've all all of a sudden they become centrist Republicans. Uh, yeah. <laughs> just just yeah. to oppose. Uh, so they've all become basically a lighter, less problematic version of Mitt Romney. I'd rather try to sell, like, you know, education and healthcare to those people than I would uh, centrist Republicans of the, like, uh, Bill Crystal sort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as much as we get, and I think we'll talk a little bit about this uh, later. I mean, as much as part of the party, uh, the Democratic Party or the left, has moved to the left on certain issues, um, they've also moved to the, uh, to the center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a weird way. Um, so I think that's worth noting. The other thing I, I just want to point out with modern trade is it's actually much harder to erect barriers, right? Because we trade, there's so much uh, trade. It's actually, there have been people and they talk about it, it's like putting a wall up in the middle of a factory, right? So yeah. you you bring in materials, you, you do a little bit to it, and you export those materials and someone right. else does it. And the value, uh, and sorry, the supply chains are so complicated and interrelated. I just think that that's, it's so hard to think about national borders in terms of trade and maybe that's what people are reacting to but it's true and i think it makes us better uh, that we can start to think about complicated supply chains we can think about how to source cheaply we can think about how to source in some ways more environmentally friendly right like we don't necessarily always have to produce in a local area that means that we can produce where places have a better water supply or more sun right like you don't have to Right, think about like Germany where they had to build solar panels in Germany, yeah. right? That's not the greatest place for it, right? So uh, I think uh, thinking about your local economy isn't necessarily thinking about it in terms of broad strokes. There's, <laughs> there are possibilities for free trade to be better for this world. I think it continues to be that force. It's not always guaranteed, and that's why we have to pay attention to what's going on. And 
and understand that there's a complexity here. And we also have to be honest, you know, in the 20th century, there were abuses of trade, you know, there sure, were, sure. there were, still like, are, but yeah, yeah, there still are, but I mean, there were, there wasn't uh, as robust or as uh, representative a body, like, trying to educate these trade disputes yeah. and try to create trade justice when possible. Right, not, to make sure everybody the benefits. World Trade Organization yeah. is a way that all sorts of countries had some sort of way of bringing, bringing, uh, let's say, disputes mm-hmm. in a way that didn't resolve in a trade war or actual war, right? Yeah. So they were able just to resolve issues through this body, and they can talk about the body being extranational or robbing sovereignty, but this is the way we've decided to work with each other, and it was a good. It's not perfect, but it's an organization worth trying to mend. And I think that's why in the late 90s they were dead, dead wrong about protesting and trying to bomb Seattle or whatever, the World Trade meetings. Like, that was such a bad idea. And really, I think we should work together to try to make trade better, not shut it down or erect barriers. And that's... I'm glad to see that the left is coming to this part of the argument. I don't know how long it'll last. Yeah, I, I think mean, it's true. Yeah, if we elect a Bernie, then we are all of a sudden anti-trade. Well, I mean, but even he has an interest in maintaining the economy, right? Like, if the economy starts to crash, like it hurts Sanders yeah. as well. I think if Bernie gets elected, he just also moves to the center on trade. You know, like you can talk about. I think he moves to the center of trade that the way that Donald Trump moved to the center of trade. You don't sign new agreements and you give a couple of sops in terms of, oh, I'm going to raise barriers and then like quietly walk them back. Over I kind of, I kind of disagree. I think Sanders would be able to play it like, well, if I'm signing it, it must be a good just trade agreement. Yeah. Right, as opposed to, and I don't think he would be as the optics of never signing an agreement are not as strong with Sanders. Right? Yeah, like Trump really traffics in like, um, we're going alone. I'm doing it. You know, yeah. uh, it's very hostile and isolationist, which that is just stupid. I think yeah. Sanders could, you know, if it were his TPP, he would be very happy about it. Right? Yeah, unfortunately, it was not. So yeah. you know. Uh, he would he would find a way to to make it his own, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a it's a real problem for not just America but for the world. This yeah. kind of feverish anti trade sentiment uh, or uh, anti globalization, whatever that means. We need a new word other than globalization. It's going to scare people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, we'll find. Should we come into a place where we? realize the virtues of trade and we'll come up with a better sexier word yeah that's how society and language works it's also it's it just continues to baffle me that people think they can be for or against globalization yeah like, this is a, pl- a, a place you can stand right like you can all of a sudden be anti-cheap transportation yeah it's just like, easier logistics luck. are easier <laughs> yeah. that's it we doesn't it doesn't take us 20 miles you know 20 days to walk across you know hundred miles or whatever you know it's just easy that way yeah takes yeah transportation time has fallen exponentially as communication time has yeah and so therefore this yes (laughs) yeah so uh right the ever shrinking space of the center left (laughs) it's actually not shrinking in this case so good on partisanship and tribalism (laughs) for the moment well, like I said, I just don't know what left means anymore. I do think, you know, like, I think people are identifying more with urban centers, right? Yeah. People are becoming more globalist. Yeah. People are becoming less, like, 
uh, you know, more human rights yeah. slash like equality for all versus religious, right? Yeah. And people are, you know, just like pushing toward, you know, uh, economic uh, statism, I guess, or like more, you know, more federal programs, more money for people as opposed to fewer right. taxes and yeah you know uh neoliberalism right. i guess which is that's that actually means by the way is yeah. free market economics everybody uses it so wrong all the time yeah uh but so and i think those four things are just get you that that a combination of those four then bam you're center left you know like yeah. it or not but if you like sit down and so we have to plot this out because yeah. i really want to see this i'm yeah i mean i don't know what the i don't know because you know the left and right all comes from the french revolution this all is right. this is something else like it's a new it's a new kind of vector system for how people uh, align politically, but mm -hmm. it is, it, it. I think it's a luxury. I think people are more politically sophisticated than they ever have been. Yeah, uh, I and think, it's confusing for people. And I think they're more politically engaged, which yeah. is also when they sense. when they're political, you know, they they yeah. they are political uh, very loudly, to, and I think they're being forced to deal with new information yeah. and that are forced to be filters on, onto themselves. And yeah, so that's, yeah. we, we don't know how to interact with just swaths of people we don't know, like all of that stuff. We're rude to each other on social media. Yeah. And these are these are things that we'll, I guess, figure out, maybe for the better, maybe for the worse, right? Yeah. But yeah, I just think, I just think we, you know, we have, you know, infelicitous simple language to describe very complex political associations yeah, now that are, uh, that leap across borders and are not, you know, uh, in the service of some national ideology anymore, yeah. because uh, things just don't work that way. I, I think for once we're talking about something he's actually doing. Yeah, it's terrible policy, um, and it's just awful. Uh, but I'm happy for us not to be talking about his inner uh, circle, his mm. intrigues, his uh, blah blah blah, his his willingness to engage in stupid Twitter fights, <laughs> all of that stuff. It, I'm happy to be talking about policy. I'm, it's unfortunate that the policy has taken such a bad turn. Now that the tariffs no longer affect the uh, chief importers of steel, uh, <laughs> uh, Canada, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and our allies, uh, do you think they will be a successful policy uh, item since they pay lip service to the idea of protecting steel without really doing much? Um, I think... I think it's one of those things that could play well. I mean, his approval ratings are on the rise. Yeah. Um, it's gross. But, uh, I mean, it's something that could play well without doing a lot of economic damage. And I think that's the best you could hope for if you're uh, within the Trump administration, right? So it plays well. He stood up to, um, you know, uh, I guess our Asian importers. Because um, I guess the person... 4%. South Korea, really. Yeah. South Korea is the one. I don't know why he... For some reason, he continues to think of South Korea as the enemy, right? It just doesn't, you know, doesn't yeah. understand. <laughs> he just doesn't understand South Korea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he, the country that I'm, I think we take in the most exports from that's not on that list is South Korea. Yeah. Um, and Brazil, I think. So South Korea and Brazil. Why Why are we picking fights with them? They're, they're good enough allies, especially South Korea. Um, so I think it's a bad policy. It's a shallow policy. Um, I think it could play well for him. Um, if, But I think one of the things it does is it's actually more or less robbed the narrative of a ascended stock market. Yeah. Um, because I don't... I think at this point, somewhere in late January, I think the bloom came off the rose for uh, in terms of how the stock market sees uh, Donald Trump. 
Um, so that's going to be a hard thing to square, right? I think if you if you have a flat stock market for the rest of it, it's going to be a hard thing to come into 2018. It's possible that the, the market could rally again. It's a really hard thing to call, but I don't think it can no longer be considered a Trump rally. Yeah, the tariff situation reminds me a little bit of the Muslim ban in that I don't think it's going to do very much, and it's not going to work. Yeah. So your plan's not going to work. But know? I think it also speaks to a, 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 but it will in sort of shore up the base, which yeah. is like he talks tough that's on it. this yeah. without it's necessarily, gonna, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's only going to have It's a, an ineffectual policy that's main, I guess, success is the fact that it changes the rhetoric in a way. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so in some ways that's a relief an actual effective yeah. trade war would be horrible yeah. yeah but uh this is more of the same yeah a, a toupee if you will <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you will if you will um uh, we want to talk a little bit maybe about italy the italian election since we're talking about raising your borders for sure yo i love italian politics anytime yeah. we can talk about the insanity yeah, sure. of italian politics yeah <laughs> all right um so do you want to describe what happened yeah so we had so i mean you've got a nascent uh euro skeptic nationalist movement that got the majority of the vote in the uh, italian election right yeah uh, the Five Star Movement, which is run by this like weird ass comedian, yeah, Beppe Grillo, yeah, uh, who's kind of turned it over to a child. Uh, so yeah, because it's not clear <laughs> he can't actually hold office. Yeah, he's I mean, got some he's, conviction or something. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. very, and he's also doesn't. He's very old. He's just a. He's a. He's a shit starter, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the center left party, the Democrats, uh, Gentiloni and Matteo Renzi's party, came in second. Yeah. Uh, and then the the second two, uh, the, the far right and center right kind of yeah. took the the rest of it. But so the can five star put together a government? And who are they going to go to? Right? Because they yeah. can go anywhere. Right? right. To to draw in uh, either you know from Berlusconi's party or from this uh, I forget what his name is, but the you know delightful Italian fascist. Yeah, uh, the neo fascist. Yeah, the neo fascist. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they will, but uh, it's it's still it's new. I mean, it's a new kind of bullshit. It's I, I say it's new. It's getting old now, right? Yeah. Like, so the Five Star Movement is is a decidedly populist mm-hmm. uh, party in the sense that it would be utterly recognizable to us because what they want is stronger social programs. So that's to the left. Yeah. But they also want uh, they're stridently anti-immigrant because that's just that's where the numbers are. Um, so they're aligning themselves with the right. So the thing is that as a party, they can play it both ways. Um, whether or not it's good policy is another question. But there's something about, I think, the way that the media caught it, uh, sort of covered it is that, oh, we're, it's part of this march towards uh, reactionary populism, right? So, yeah. And so before that, maybe there was a, a small narrative because of Macron's win, maybe... Angela Merkel's uh, quasi-qualified victory, then maybe this uh, nationalist populism wave was on the retreat. But uh, it was always a complicated picture. And I think one of the things that the American media does very poorly is talk about politics without using an American lens, right? So you have to see each nation's politics um, more about that nation first and foremost, and then maybe local, regional, and global trends not necessarily dictated by the US. Yeah, I mean and what something that is different in Italy in comparison to 
France or Germany is that Italian politics has always been insane. There's never been like a year when Italian politics worked, right? So there's 20 <laughs> years of complete stability yeah, under right, one man. Right, right. It ended poorly, but yeah. stable. Uh, so this is kind of business as usual. Not having a government is more standard than having a government. No one expects Italy to work. Uh, the the but there's a big split right now between and, and this I haven't really seen talked about between the north and the south in Italy. Yeah, there really is like this. Kinda, you don't see it talked about in the U.S. It's talked about incessantly in Italy. It, yeah, right, right, yeah. right. That's this is their big like cultural. That's issue. why you have the Northern League, right? right the right. Northern League yeah. is a rightist party. Yeah, and they're the real anti-immigrant. Yeah. Like, so you've got so you you have to as you know you have to. There's fissures inside all countries, and you right. have to pick a side. I think. But so the, you know, like yeah. the, like I talk about Israel, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you can't be anti-Israel. You just be anti-fucking Likud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so classically, the South has had a lot of power in Italy, right? And But they're super because corrupt. Because of Rome. Right, right, right. But the, so that's the super corrupt kind of pro-immigrant, the popes on the South side, yeah. you know? Uh, those are your your criminals and dirtbags who embezzle a lot, a, yeah. a lot and, you know... Uh, are very so flamboyant. Most, yeah, so so the most uh, I think it was a Northern League politician who once said this, just to give you an indication of the mindset, was that the uh, the creation and the unification of Italy didn't unify Italy as much as it split split Africa. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah. as a Sicilian, I'll take it. So this is just playing out in a really destructive way. Uh, right now in Italy, right? And well, I think, like you said, Italy has never, well, at least post-war has not had a real um, reputation for stability, shall yeah. we say. I mean, it's designed actually not to be stable at a federal level, right, at a national yeah. level. Uh, the problem is that now this makes the relationship with the EU much more complicated, right? So um, in terms of importance um, for the EU, there are, uh, the ranking goes, I think, I mean, obviously, Germany's number one. Mm-hmm. France is number two. Yeah. Italy has a shot at being number three. Yeah. They've certainly risen in prominence with the ejection of, of England, of the UK. Right. Um, I just don't see... I think what we're seeing is uh, increasing stability of the EU with the member states, the, with France and Germany, right? right? They've come together in a big way, right? Right. Which is new, right? Right. So that's, you know, Merkel and Hollande did not get along. Yeah, uh, but Macron and Merkel are fucking best friends, right? And they, you know, share a, a, a common uh, goal of greater EU independence and and uh, federalism, right? right. Like, uh, whereas Italy has kind of always been the you know junior partner in every endeavor with both of these countries and. They just don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. They don't know what that looks like. They're they're the they're the the opposition. They represent all the other countries that you know kind of don't know what's going to happen here. Right, and don't have a great record in terms of financial management. Yeah, all yeah. of those things. Although Mario Draghi is actually, you know, the head of the ACB. Um, so I think it's when I, as you were talking, I was thinking that perhaps a, uh, an interesting evolution is of the EU is actually a devolution, right? So you yeah. would actually go back to the original coal and steel agreements where it's six countries or seven <laughs> countries or ten countries as yeah. opposed to now 22 to 28, right? So maybe they expanded borders past where they wanted to, which is uh, unfortunate because effectively one of the things that 
if you can if you contract the EU, you've handed Putin a victory of sorts, I guess. Which I I don't think, but I I think one of the incentives though is that should the EU start to shrink in terms of the number of countries, I think it will be a much more easily governed institution. Right, you'll have. Uh, Belgium and and perhaps some of the Nordic countries that are much more financially stable um, contribute to this European Union, right? This euro that may actually be much more successful. So countries that leave the euro may all of a sudden look at it as like this stable, uh, stable entity that they want to join. I think I, these, yeah, Italy's going to stir shit. They're not going to leave the EU. I just don't see that yeah, ever happening. I think, but they are going to like you know fuck around. They're going to be dicks about it. You yeah, know? that's their that's what they do. That's Italian politics. Yeah. They, you know they they act real strong and then cave and then yeah. you know have a party. It's mm. not the the big issue is immigration, right? Right. So we're seeing Macron become more muscular with respect to immigration in a way that I find distasteful and problematic, but will be great for his you know relationship with Italy. Yeah, uh, and we're also seeing Merkel kind of uh, in the same Soft boat, right? Back. Yeah, have to she has as she has to deal with the AFP. It's a, yeah, so a lot of the refugee immigration policies are deeply, deeply unpopular throughout yeah. the European yeah. Union, and this is gives rise to the far right, which is. Uh, which is, is heartbreaking and a shame, but Europe, Europe has never done well with a refugee crisis. Right. But what we're seeing is, I think Macron and Merkel both have come to the realization that this refugee crisis is something that the EU can, you know, have a hand in solving if they have a more muscular, like, foreign presence and they don't rely on America to solve yeah. the problems, right? Yeah. Uh, so those go hand in hand. They, I think they want to put pressure on Russia and the Middle East and yeah. exert a stronger influence there in order to stem this refugee crisis yeah. to kind of cut it off while at the same time domestically they say you know we're going to uh, start you know processing visas faster and we're going to cut off this flow from North Africa etc yeah. etc et it's cynical and fucked up and you know unnecessary and utterly you know uh, short sighted and I think it's it sucks that people feel this way I, I just I would like Europe to become more uh, diverse. Yeah. I think I think the refugee crisis is the best thing that's ever happened to them uh, in the past fifty years. <laughs> but uh, I, they I would know. disagree. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I disagree with that. But I think that Europe, the sick man of Europe, is Europe. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, or maybe Europe outside of Germany. Like, yeah. I just think that there are. It's just a stubborn uh, cultural and national outlook um, that prevents Europe from becoming much more dynamic. Yeah, but they're, I mean, they're just, they're going through like a cultural awakening and, and processing period. Yeah. Right? And, you know, there's going to be great movies that come out of this, you know, yeah. about like Europeans getting to know like Africans and, and Middle Easterners. Oh, and man. It's going to be fucking, I mean, it's going to be lame, but it's going to be, it's something, it's new, right? As opposed to like trying to figure out the Belgian soul. I mean, come on. Like, yeah. what is the Belgian soul? Yeah. Like, who fucking cares? Yeah. We've all seen the comments. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I mean, Dark. you guys, like, yeah. these countries, it, it, no one cares about Andorra. As, like cultural identity anymore <laughs> it's, it's not worth policing like right. yeah, I, I, you, the, the idea of Europe as an entity with a cultural identity and shared values that makes sense that's right. interesting that is something that could thrive but to the extent that you're trying to figure out what the Czech Republic's values are you're, you're just gonna like go all the way up your own asshole and you're gonna end up like Alabama the yeah. country right <laughs> yeah. uh, 
So hey, Georgia? Or? <laughs> no, definitely Alabama. <laughs> Georgia's got some. Georgia's got some heart. <laughs> uh, um, anything else you want to say about Italy? No, no, no. I, I mean, I think, I think it's the five star movement uh, uh, victories there. It's a little bit overblown as far as paranoia about what that means. And also, you've overstated how stable any government is in, in Italy. Italy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, the failure to form a government will be, that's like their center left. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. Also, you can't have fascism in Italy without the Pope on your side. So if Francis gets assassinated, then time no, to we, we panic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> then we panic. Right. Um, all right. So I think that's about it uh, for Italy. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I do we want to go on to our final section of the podcast, which is I guess this week, doubling down on defeat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are a couple of, I guess, I guess there are elements floating around in the cultural ephemera that I don't. I need you to explain to me. Okay, um, I, 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 I will fail to do this. Yes, yes. go ahead. <laughs> One is the leftist instinctive defense of people like Louis Farrakhan, and then two, I guess, as we were mentioning before we started this podcast, is that uh, the word intersectionality has reached a popular moment because it was actually mentioned in the Oscars as something we should be aiming for and I I do not understand this and I You don't I, understand intersectionality itself? Perhaps but I've read Foucault yeah. so I don't what, what do you what do you what am I missing? Okay well you're looking at the philosophical definition of intersectionality versus the popular uh I guess, like, internet definition. Yeah. The internet definition of intersectionality just means everybody, you know, if you're from a minority group mm-hmm. uh, or a woman, which is a majority group, but is... Historically minority, yeah, 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 underprivileged. Uh, you have to recognize and support the uh, rights of other minority groups and who are in the same boat. No one can, like, privilege one minority group's voice over another. We must all, like, rise together and see the weakness and strength in our our struggle, right? Like, intersectionality. Like, no one should just be one thing, right? We're all, like, many different identity groups. You're, <laughs> the skepticism you're looking at me with I mean, is, is withering. But yeah, that's what... That's that what, is one wilted word salad. Yeah, no, it, it's a wilted word. I mean, it's not a word that means anything, like, strong or, or real. Okay. Uh, it's a lot like the word neoliberal these days, yeah. which it's thrown around uh, right. in order to score points. But. So maybe these are two separate topics. Like, the defense of Louis Farrakhan, I think, is... yeah. Absurd. He's the David Duke of the left, I guess. Yeah. It's just terrible. Yeah. David no Duke th- is also the David Duke of the left. But yeah. yeah. I believe that yeah. he is uh, a, a... Full circle. Everything yeah. full circle. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Okay. So, I think we can just dismiss Louis Farrakhan. Uh, I think the nicest thing that I've read that I felt was legitimate about Louis Farrakhan was, one, he was actually a talented violin player. And then, two, Manning Marable said he may not have had a hand in killing... Uh, Malcolm X. <laughs> He's possibly not. Possibly not. <laughs> Manning Marable had a little bit of, uh, of skepticism. So anyway, um, I yeah, I think the I think uh, uh, Nation of Islam has seen Black Panther as a recruiting drive opportunity, yeah. and have just poured a lot of money into like social media ads right yeah. now. As soon as anybody reads like the literature, they'll be like, "Holy shit, this is fucking crazy!" Crazy. <laughs> yeah. This is crazy. It's crazy so, ass shit. Yeah, which it is. I mean, you know. I guess uh, they always <laughs> have their moment, like when Malcolm X, the movie was released. Yeah, maybe yeah. Nation of Islam had a brief spike, and yeah. we all had to like condemn them. 
Yeah, I mean, it'll just happen again. You yeah. know? Someone will accidentally support Farrakhan, yeah. you know, publicly, and then we'll be raped yeah, over the already, polls. Yeah, they, they already have. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the Women's March, or the Women's March movement has been somewhat associated with Farrakhan. For some reason, uh, there is probably... No worse spokesman for women's rights and equality. <laughs> Louis Farrakhan. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's a hard thing because the anger is real and the like problems are real. And Farrakhan is such a con artist to fucking take that anger and funnel it into yeah. his fucked up uh, cult. So I mean, yeah, this goes back actually to something I think about. Like there can be legitimate economic grievances. And racism at the same time, right? Like, I mean, a lot of times these things that are instinctually felt get voiced or articulated or blamed in one way or another in really ugly ways. So, like, the difference, I think, when we were talking about Trump supporters trying to separate and defend them as having, oh, these are people who are voting with their wallets as opposed to people who are voting on race issues or cultural identity issues. No, they can be the same thing, (laughs) right? I mean, people can have legitimate grievances that find expression or ways of politically expressing themselves or actually some sort of schema of blame that is ugly and wrong and prejudiced and relies a lot on stereotypes also we're in that boat of you know we've lived through this before whereas a new generation is coming up that yeah. has no association with these oh, yeah, things. So every new generation has to like struggle a little with the nation of Islam. <laughs> yeah because oh, it's, it's complicated yeah. I mean, it's, it it's more complicated than the kkk i think yeah, uh, maybe. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, they're analogous in some. Definitely way. analogous, no right. question. Yeah. Uh, but there, it's it is it is more of a, um, a harder snake to wrestle with, yeah. uh, just because it, it hasn't ever had the institutional like power structure to you know yeah. behind it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Trying to think of that, except for no, no, no never, no. <laughs> never, never really caught on. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay, so then, so I guess why, why does, why is intersectionality having its moment? Because I think it, (laughs) to me, intellectually, it feels so wrong, right? I mean, you're, and I feel like how it's practiced and, uh, or how, whatever, uh, the public kind of face of it seems just antithetical to what I, I guess, my basic worldview, right? So that, um, so, I don't know. What your basic worldview being? Um... People aren't great. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so I understand how historically certain groups have been kept down. I just don't think that historically if your parents or your ancestors were kept down, that gives you the moral superiority, right? Because I think what I see about people putting forth the intersexual intersectionality debate are um, this weird intersection of some sort of minority or underprivileged historical status and uh, college education, right? <laughs> so, so they are some combination of being bourgeois and yet historically underprivileged. And so that you're putting, and I feel like it's a new kind of Victorian mannered way of thinking about society, that this is how people should speak, right? There's no appreciation for um, diversity of viewpoint. I think that uh, the idea that someone has a moral superiority over another based on what their ancestors have what privileges their ancestors may or may not have had or in like broad strokes is appalling anyone who knows anything about things like the cultural revolution know what kind of horrible horrible outcomes this kind of thinking leads to right i i yeah i mean i agree with you insofar as 
appeals to nebulous victimhood from far away are not in the service of good intellectual debate. However, there are problems now. Sure. And people should speak from their problems and talk about how to address them. Yeah. I wish politics were more personal in that way. I wish people didn't really go straight for uh, these... uh, historical catalogs of abuse convenient stereotypes yeah because right. it does like reinforce those stereotypes and it Even, is yeah it, it doesn't it's not gratifying i think to argue from this way it and our lives are empty. complicated yeah. and even more so now like the the categories of old aren't meaningful right i mm-hmm. mean yeah like the idea that what it means to be a minority right now uh even a dark uh, you know darker skinned minority we come from a place of relative privilege versus the previous generation, right? We were able to articulate, we were able to assume equality um, in a way that I don't, I, my parents' generation didn't, right? And so I think a lot of ways this is, uh, it's not that there aren't big, there aren't, it's not that there aren't inequalities, that, that there aren't injustices, but the way that we explain them in terms of some combination of, uh, race is, uh, or or gender, or sexuality, or sexual identity, or gender identity. These are complicated issues that involve a lot of convenient categorization of people, right? That we need to get away from, right? The whole point is that we were, whatever we, whatever damage we did to each other was by assuming people's capabilities based on whatever we saw of them, right? That is absolutely wrong, right? Yeah, uh, yes. However, if you're trying to build a big political coalition, right, uh, if you're trying to, you know, keep the Democratic Party together, if that is your goal, the idea of intersectionality is pretty basic and standard. You really do want everybody to recognize that it's in our interest to support we can't just act in our own self-interest. Yeah. That minority rights, whatever that means, unless it's about gun con- gun owners, I guess. Uh, you know, supporting those for one group helps everybody else support them for their own group. Whatever. Yeah, I, I, I think I understand that. I just am not quite on board. The yet. cultural debate. At some point, about I will it. be. I won't. Ha- I won't have a choice. You won't have a choice. Yeah, I'll be. I'll be marched into the inner city. <laughs> the, it'll just like a red line will form under your sentence if it is not intersexual. Right, 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 like, right. Autocorrect. Right, right like. exactly. I'll, you know, whatever the equivalent of barefoot doctor. <laughs> yeah, right. I'll have to be that generation. I mean, if you want to see once again, if you want to see intersectionality, motherfuckers, come to Jackson Heights. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, the 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 where everybody's free to be as mad as they yeah. want and not. Worry I, just, about I it. find that there's this weird othering of white middle class life. Like it's, and I, I feel like this is this isn't an improvement. It's just flipping the categories. Yeah, yeah. it's also just an easy way to score points yeah. online, right? Yeah. Because anytime somebody talks about some issue that is important to them, whether it's like women or you know black people or immigrants you can always say well how come you're not talking about the other one yeah. in this statement or whatever and you know it's i don't i don't know if the, how much good that does right like right it, it's important to be reminded of that we're all in this together but also maybe we should take turns uh so i, I was thinking about this in terms of my own personal experience yeah. right so i was a kid uh as a kid i grew up in the south right i was pretty dark um so i got called the n-word as a kid I grew up kind of an angry man. 
uh, or an angry young boy. Was that because of the racism of the South? Maybe. But you know what I learned, actually, is that I inherited my dad's own anger. And it wasn't necessarily the anger of his growing, living in the South. It was his anger of his how he was raised, yeah. um, which was, you know, you know, very poor in India and being exploited and taken advantage of because he was, you know, there were... Uh, people who are willing to exploit poor people in India. That's how it went. And it wasn't because of colonialism. This is a long-standing tradition. We were generations of poor people, right? Yeah. Not, 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 it's not that we were rich before 1857. Um, so, and, but the truth is my father himself was a Brahmin, right? And so that in itself is a privilege. And, that, uh, and so that his own sense of uh, privilege or uh, privilege is very, very complicated, right? Like it's not... So where does where to so to say that we are both privileged and underprivileged at the same time is accurate, right? It's but I think when you talk about I am privileged because I belong into this group, or I I'm not, I I just doesn't square with my own very sort of complicated history, because I and I think the reason my history is complicated is because I'm honest about it, right? Um, so it's I'm not and we don't necessarily I'm not willing to sort of bend under. Uh, clear stereotypes, right? I could tell the story in many ways that would make me privileged or underprivileged. Yeah, I mean, that's that's harder and, like, braver and, like, that's... I mean, I'm a fiction writer. For me, that's crap. You know, like, finding out the specifics of somebody's experience yeah. are way more important and I think politically useful and just, like, better than finding out how somebody fits into, like, some historic group. Right. Which doesn't tell a story at all. It tells right. a story about a population, but you can't speak for a population. No one can. Right. And I don't think any people should try. So I, I I have this theory, and I wanted to float it to you. I know we're running out of time here. Yeah. But so um, I feel like if there are two Americas, right, so there are a right and a left America, uh, <laughs> one, ex- one, the right, is experiencing... Uh, uh, an accelerating cultural irrelevance, and they're behaving like that. So they are continuing to grab vocabulary around victimhood and individual rights. Yes. And in the main t- meantime, the left is starting to see its ascendance, and it is exhibiting all the bad behaviors of it, like <laughs> ruthless major- majoritarianism, um, unwillingness to accept di- uh, diversity of uh, whatever they, however they uh, categorize being not important in terms of diversity. So you have a group in the ascendancy who is behaving in just terrible ways um, and and doing exactly everything that was done to them, right? Um, again, a ruthless majoritarianism, um, grabbing link for it, and a group that is uh, uh, in the descendant, uh, and it is doing exactly what uh, all groups that are descendant do. They're starting to talk about victimhood and um, trying to fight uh, that realization within themselves um so that's my new that's my theory about the right and the left. It, it is it is kind of funny to see yeah. things so reversed in our lifetime you know? yeah neither group is, is dealing with the transition well yeah yeah and i mean that's that's gonna be how it is for a while there's no yeah. solution to that right like things aren't yeah, liberals should be better um but it I, should I, be yeah I but mean. i just think that when you come into power you develop a philosophy of power that justifies your own power right and you can say like christians should be better you know 20 years ago but yeah. they weren't gonna yeah. be it's yeah. not, you know it just doesn't work yeah like, people are, are you're gonna learn less in the hard way or not you know yeah. hopefully trump would have kicked some of that into us that yeah. liberals have to be more you know, more uh, excited about diversity yeah and, uh, and in a broad definition of diversity yeah yeah uh, but at the same time, you got you want to protect what you got. Yeah, right. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I just feel so territorial. <laughs> yeah.
Anything else? No, no, no. no. All right, well, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been episode 39 of Rumor of Requirement. Um, Thank you again to Kevin Carter for producing our intro and outro music. Yeah.